Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. Uh, I am here, as always, with uh, uh, Sir Murray McCormick. We're going to discuss the Rough Riders' 30-16 to victory over the Toronto Argonauts uh, in, uh, I think, the first 7.45 game that I can remember. Um, <laughs> and looking ahead to, the, to Friday's game in BC and sundry other matters pertaining to the, to the Rough Riders, the CFL, what have you. Um, just off the top, Mur, what do you make of that game last uh, last Friday? Well, that has to be the most impressive opening by the Rough Riders since they played BC the last time. When you watch that opening drive with Powell and the swing passes and the throws to Key and Schaefer Baker, that one at the goal line and stuff, and a touchdown, it was almost reminiscent of that moment. Remember, back, remember way back then in that October, August 5th game, Robin, we saw so many great things out of the Riders, and we thought, and of course, the Lions roared back to make it a much more exciting game. But what a, what an opening statement for a team that has struggled offensively, has struggled so many things. It was just, I've, I watched it a couple of times already, just appreciating the calls and everything. I know there's a whole game that takes place after that. I'm not saying there wasn't impactful moments, but that drive just set the tone for this team that really needed something to get fans on their side, to get their confidence going again, and to show that William Powell can still play and is, as we've seen Schaefer Baker just do some amazing things. And then the touchdown run was just, uh, the sneak was perfectly executed. Like, I, I don't know, Rob, that's, that's what, is that wrong for me to stand out of one series from a play from a game like that? That's so impactful. No, I mean, I, I'm not sure that was the most Im- important juncture of the game, but it certainly gave the Rough Riders a, a chance to make an emphatic statement right out of the gate. I would maintain that the, the game was decided in a, in a couple of ways. First of all, the, the Rough Riders' goal line stand late in the first half. Micah Tights making a couple of huge plays. Read all about Micah Tights in Wednesday's best-selling edition of the Leader Post. Tuesday's Tuesdays. best-selling edition of the Leader Post. And, um, and, uh, and then the Rough Riders yeah. moving the ball deep into Toronto territory and getting a field goal. So that's probably it. You, you presume the convert is made after the Argos uh, make the con- make the touch score the touchdown. That's a 10-point swing. Uh, that, that's, that's going into the locker room. So that's pretty pretty crucial. Not only that, I think the Argos, I think conservatively you could say they left 100 yards in the field on, on, oh, on plays where they barely missed. And uh, where, where either the ball was dropped or the, the pass wasn't right there. And uh, a play or two here and there, and it's, it's, a, it's a different game. Yeah, the Rough Riders won by 14 points, but uh, there really wasn't a lot to separate those two teams. The difference was I think the Rough Riders are more opportunistic, and as yeah. a result, they're 4-2. And, and they showed some finish. You know, in the last two games, they've been, been settling for field goals or missed field goals or whatnot. And they got down the field and they scored some touchdowns. So that's also pretty important. I know that after the goal line stand, which I'm not, I'm not underestimating the impact of that goal line stand. The fact they didn't go offside was actually an accomplishment. They I tried, though. <laughs> they tried. But it was funny listening to Micah describe, you know, what the coaches had worked on, how to, you know, the corners now are looking in on the sides to make sure the guys aren't offside. So they, they've kind of addressed that issue. So it's nice. But we kept waiting for them to go offside. Eh? It was just that, well, they're going to go offside. They're going to go offside. And that would have changed everything. But that that was huge. Micah Tights is 
You know, as a guy, we had questions about being the weak side linebacker. He's just stepped up to be the one one of those good Canadian guys. Is kind of is he Cameron Judge? I don't know. We'll have to see what happens at the end of the season. But he's playing well, pretty I, well right now. If you look at what he's done statistically, um, you know, Micah Tights is certainly comparable to Cameron Judge. What we're not seeing are the are the highlight reel plays. We're not seeing something like Cameron Judge clobbering the quarterback in Montreal, the fumble being recovered and, and taking it back yeah. for a touchdown. Uh, we're not seeing the interception return for a touchdown like like Cameron Judge had November 2nd against uh, 2019 against Edmonton to secure, provide insurance and pretty much nail down first place for the Rough Riders. We're not seeing those type of plays. But, yet. Um, yeah. Yet. <laughs> but what we're seeing are the are the hard-nosed plays on second and goal, third and goal. What we're seeing are a couple, a couple of quarterback sacks. We're not seeing missed tackles. We're seeing reliability. And uh, we're really not lamenting the uh, departure of, of of Cameron Judge, nor is there a lament about the departure of, of uh, Charleston Hughes. Yes, he had a sack on Friday against the Rough Riders, but that was not the type of sack that makes you uh, that makes you rave about the the pressure the quarterback is 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 facing. That was a technicality of a sack. So, uh, and the Rough Riders pass rush returned on uh, on on Friday against Toronto after a uh, a game or two of dormancy. So. Uh, you know, Keon Adams had his best game as a rough rider. I think uh, Micah Johnson had his best game as a rough rider. We he saw Jonathan a, Woodard again. He got a sack too, Micah Johnson. So he's got his first oh. sack of the season. I thought that was kind of a nice twist to see him. I also noticed at halftime that uh, Micah Johnson went up and talked to Charleston Hughes before he went jog one of the court. And I saw that's, that's, you know, they're still respect there. They're still friends. And I think they, Micah Johnson, but Micah Johnson, I thought did play very well. And I think, you know, he's still injured and he's still got that, I guess, still recovering from an ankle. I don't know if it's a high ankle sprain, but it still bothers him. And he's just playing a lot better. And you got to give him credit for battling through injuries again. So with, with Micah Johnson, but we both know it's a different team coming up on uh, in BC. One sure. note about Micah Johnson, there was a play in the first half where Ricky Collins Jr. was wide open. And that should have been an 80-plus yard touchdown. And the ball was underthrown. Uh, why was the ball underthrown? Uh, Micah Johnson won't get a stat for that play. He didn't get a sack. He didn't even lay a finger on the quarterback. But he applied enough pressure that uh, the, his proximity to Nick Arbuckle altered the tra- trajectory of the throw and the authority with which the throw could be delivered. And the throw ultimately fell short as a result, even though the receiver was wide open. And Micah Johnson isn't uh, making life uncomfortable for the quarterback in that play. Uh, it's a touchdown. And again, it's, it's one of those plays I referenced yeah. earlier that uh, has a huge bearing on the outcome. And that's something that isn't even, even going to be reflected, reflected statistically. But it's, it's, I think uh, it exemplifies the type of game Micah Johnson had. And that's what, that's what they need for him. That's, that's what they paid handsomely for two years ago and got in spurts. And they're, I think they're getting more from him now uh, for a lesser wage than they did in 2019. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. That's good playing, but... Uh... How about, you know, what do, what do you think of Nick Arbuckle? Did he show that he's worth it? Is he? Is I like he, Nick Arbuckle. I think he needed yeah. some help from his receivers from time to time. There were, some, there were some times that he could have helped his receivers out. He was re- reputed to be a guy who wasn't really that aggressive going deep, but we certainly saw the uh, him him refute that perception on, on Saturday, on, on Friday. There were so many plays over the top. That they tried and and they they succeeded on many of them. He was over three over three hundred yards and made some yeah. nice throws. I uh, 
wouldn't he look good in Ottawa right now uh, as they go through that quarterbacking mess? And then they, they had the rights to him at one point. So, uh, and Nick Arbuckle, remember, came into and came into Regina two years ago in place of Bo by Mitchell and lit up the Rough Riders yeah. uh, secondary. And the Rough Riders ended up one and three after Nick Arbuckle tore him up. And after that, the Riders went on a roll. But they never did beat Calgary in 2019 no. while finishing first. And that's still, I think, a hurdle that this team is going to have to overcome. Yes, the, the Stampeders aren't what they were, but the Rough Riders under this regime have yet to show that they can beat the team that perennially is the uh, is one of the major obstacles to finishing first in the West or advancing to the Grey Cup. That's the Calgary Stampeders. So we'll, we'll know very soon how they stack up against Calgary with three games against the Stampeders and two of them in Calgary. So in the meantime, uh, and I'm surprised there's not more hype about this maybe it will build up later in the week but the Rough Riders are four and two and the BC Lions are four and two and yeah. uh the Riders are going into BC for game Friday night so that's a pretty pivotal game uh in terms of uh trying to secure a home playoff game trying to in terms of trying to make the playoffs for that matter because even though the Riders are four and two they've got uh such a concentration of road games down the down the stretch that they've got a they've got to uh win I think under more challenging conditions than they've faced so far so this is a pretty substantial football game coming up on on Friday night and then we start talking about Calgary more uh, with more uh, with more uh, focus I think Calgary looks eminently beatable after watching it. Bo Levi Mitchell struggling which is you know there's not a lot of patience but I think Bo Levi struggling is just something that happened that one game I think he's going to bounce back but I still think the Stampeders are showing a little bit of uh, you know they're beatable now now BC look who's hot eh Look who started off so slowly, and Michael Riley started off slowly in that first game back then. They were down, I think it was 32 to, I meant to write that down, was it? 31 30, nothing. 31 nothing, somewhere in that neighborhood, and, and Riley was just, just wasn't, but he counts back. So, and, the good, and who's the performer of the week for the third time in the CFL? It's Michael Riley. He is back with a strong arm, and he even when he makes bad plays, he bounces back. He doesn't let it bother him. He's always kind of, so I think, they're going to see a different Michael Riley than maybe had played way back in the beginning of the season. So I do think the Lions are, and the Lions also can throw another guy, you know, Lucky Whitehead, who's probably the most explosive player in the league right now. He and they've got Brian Burnham. Burnham. Brian uh, Burnham. And Brian you know, Burnham didn't do much the last game, but Lucky Whitehead filled in so much. But Yeah, I mean, Lucky Whitehead uh, is certainly, uh, he's kind of what Brandon Banks used to be as far as a player who can tear apart a, a tear apart a game. There aren't a lot of players who are really scintillating to watch this year. There's not a lot of explosiveness in the Canadian Football League, period. If you want explosiveness, you're probably going to watch the National Football League or the NCAA. But yeah. uh, um, I think uh, Lucky, White, Lucky Whitehead is one of the outliers this season, and then he's a player who's really torching defenses. And the Rough Riders are going to have to pay a lot of attention to him. There's Burnham. It's a pretty solid offense overall. And the Rough Riders under this regime haven't seen Mike Riley under these conditions. The first Michael. game of the year, his, his arm was a uh, Michael. First game of the year, his, his arm was uh, Linguini, and uh, yeah, yeah. two years ago they couldn't protect him. So uh, now you're seeing Mike Riley who's getting some time to throw and has the uh, arm strength to throw. And yeah. uh, this is going to be a pretty formidable challenge the the Rough Riders are facing. Plus, they've been on the road once and they got manhandled. So how did what do they do to recover from that? I don't know. It's it's different to compare it to the to the Bombers because the Bombers they're they're just in, right now in a, in a different league than the rest of the CFL. But I still think that they've only gone on the road once, and that's and I don't. It's life. You go on the road. You go on the road. You got to play half your games on the road anyway. You should be able to be decent. Yeah. Now, it. now it's seventy five percent of them. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a 
it's such a strange number to to see that. And it's still, you know, it's what it is. COVID's brought is what it is, what it is. But it is kind of strange to see this such a strong, such a heavy contingent of road games, and all against. Well, I was just looking at my, and they're all against West Division teams, I think, except for one. Or they couple. To, they, no, they go to Hamilton. They go to Montreal. Yeah, Hamilton and Montreal, but it's still you got to do it in the West. And if they're going to make the play, I. You, you kind of said if they make the playoffs, are we at that point now? Or are we still, they're going to make are well, we they, at... yeah, they're going to make the playoffs? Well, they're they four and two, but they've got six out of their final eight in, on the road. And I wouldn't bet. And, and Calgary can certainly elevate itself in the standings uh, with those three games against Saskatchewan. Those are going to be, those are going to be pivotal. Uh, Edmonton without uh, Trevor Harris could, 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 uh, be, yeah. could really descend. I think you're talking <laughs> about a number five team there now. Uh, so, uh, I kind of still can't name the quarterback with Chad Taylor. I can't remember who started. <laughs> we'll consider Lemmerman this week. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe uh, give Darren Durant a call. Give Darren Durant a call. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, that's an interesting situation in Edmonton because they've got tons of great receivers, but really nobody to get them the ball anymore. Exactly. So and they've got a terrific running back, and uh, it's still not doing them a, a lot of good right now. Um, hey, Riders have a running back, Rob. They do. Look at uh, that, eh? Who? William Powell was looking like William Powell. And, just elusiveness and strength and power and speed and emotion and just – it was fun to watch him run the ball. And, you know, he did get 100 yards, which is always a, that magnet standard that people set. But, boy, he should have some great runs. Uh, and, and some he swing passes, again, He did in Winnipeg, too. and uh, But that effort was largely wasted. The Rough Riders, I think, uh, were as – Cognizant of the need to run the ball this past week as they were the week before in Edmonton. It just the uh, the nature of the game didn't take them out of running the ball in the second half, and they were able to keep keep plugging away. and yeah. And uh, their two longest gains of the day were on the ground: 33 yard run by William Powell, 25 yard run by uh, Cody Fajardo. They had a 24 yard touchdown by Keon Schaefer Baker. That was 24 or 25 yards after the catch. Yeah. They really still haven't really shown that there's a inclination to or uh, capability of throwing the ball downfield. No, I haven't seen that yet. Hey, Justin mentioned that uh, Ken Schaefer-Baker and Nick Dembski probably had two of the best runs of the weekend. Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> just two that make you watch over and over again. Yeah, I was pick your watching, play of the week. How do, you, how do you choose between those two? I was kind of watching Monday Night Football last night. And I, think, I thought maybe Chris Berman might have come up north to show off one of those things, but you know, I, the one about Schaefer Baker, and I think we got it was a team touchdown. I know we look at him getting all the attention because he's, but you know, you look at the blocking and the stuff, and it opened up the holes in his power and stuff. So it was a team touchdown, I think. That not saying they aren't, but it just Schaefer Baker is getting all the credit and deservedly so. But the Riders also had the blocking and the call, little two yard pass, and boom, this young guy with it goes off Dan Clark's butt and stuff. And it was just a great play by Schaefer Baker, who you know we've written about now, and we. You know, I was trying to look him back on it. There's not a whole lot of background. He didn't get Garner a lot of attention in college. He really didn't. Just he played for Guelph, which was kind of a, I don't know if they're a good team or they're they just maybe a middle middle of the road team. Didn't really have a the kind of quarterback in that Western and Laval and the big schools getting Calgary gets. So he doesn't get all those passing passes and attempts. But if people look on YouTube, you can see a one-handed grab he does against Ottawa in 2018 that is just spectacular like he just skies and brings it that's like a uh, a Beckham type call Beckham type uh, reception that happened with the New York Giants just an amazing play so 
he's kind of generating some attention and rightfully so. And he's, he's a big, strong guy and he's playing because Shaq Evans is hurt and Jordan Williams Lambert is hurt, but that's not usually a Canadian position, that boundary wide receiver. It's usually an American. And it's good to see that he, he may be making the riders have to make a decision, whatever happens. If, if it is a decision, maybe not. I think you go with Shaq no matter what, but I think he's uh, throwing but the I, have a Canadian I, I think if you if you put Shaq back in that position, I think you find another position for Keon Schaefer Baker. You can't take him out of the lineup now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that becomes a position that they would ordinarily bestow upon Jordan Williams Lambert, who really hasn't shown much since he returned from the Rough Riders, returned to the Rough Riders in 2019. Um, you, you can't take Schaefer Baker out of the lineup. There's also the ratio yeah. benefits to be derived, yeah. but that the ratio doesn't really apply here he's just good yeah. and uh and and good might be an understatement and he's only going to get better so you can't take him out of the lineup that would be absolute folly i think there's all the robbers out of the lineup eh? <laughs> <laughs> i don't get that one and i asked uh, i asked dickinson about it on monday and uh he explained that uh, ricardo lewis is where the quarterback expects him to be and that he's a good blocker and all that but the primary responsibility for a receiver is to catch the football. And they've thrown 11 passes to Ricardo Lewis and uh, over three games, and four of them have been caught. A couple of them should have been caught. And uh, they threw four passes to Paul McRoberts against Ottawa on August 21st. He caught all four of them. So Paul, Rick Mar- Paul McRoberts has as many receptions in his last two quarters as, as Ricardo Lewis does in his last 12. Uh, I just don't see why there's a case for – uh, maintaining the status quo here, other than they just won with that lineup. But they also lost the first two games in which they played Ricardo Lewis, not that he's to blame for it. And they, that wasn't, uh, uh, you know, that just that didn't really prompt any change. I don't know what they're seeing there. This oh, pretty right. much guarantees that he gets 12 receptions for 213 yards on, on Friday night. <laughs> yeah, BC, yeah. But, uh, but you know what? Why not try to get the guy, guy involved in the offense too? They love their bubble screens, etc. Why not throw a few footballs to him and get him in the groove? I mean, it's not only he's playing play an inside receiver position, so it's not like they've got him out in the wide out, out in the wide side in a different postal code. Why not get him involved in the offense and see what he can do and get him in a groove? He's got some athleticism. They like what he can do. He gives them some speed that they generally don't have in that receiving core. Uh, why not try to incorporate him into the offense and then see if he can play? I'm not sure that the that the way they've called the plays has been entirely fair to him either. But when his number has been called, aside from that first pass that was thrown to him in his first game, where he made a nice grab over the middle for, for 22 yards, aside from that, there really hasn't been any reason to discuss him except for plays that should have been made or pass interference penalty that should have been called. Yeah, I agree with you. So, and we keep asking about Rick Robertson. I don't, I don't think uh, Craig Dickinson is being coy. He's just providing the answers what they're doing and they aren't, we don't see it, so I guess there's, you know, maybe they see something we don't see. Maybe there's something going on in practice, but I don't see him being utilized in practice any much any more than he is now. I mean, if there's anything that Paul McRoberts had done, non-football related, that that resulted in him in not playing, then I just don't think he'd be here anymore. I mean, he's yeah. still practicing with the team, so if it was a disciplinary issue, why would he? Still be on the practice? Why would he still be on the practice roster? That's just gone long past the disciplinary issue, too. Right? Yeah, I mean this that would have that would I think come out in the wash a lot earlier than yeah. ah disciplinary issues. Let's talk about AC Leonard. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> we well, were record- to- recording this on a Tuesday morning. It's ten thirty-five a.m. and uh, AC Leonard has resumed practicing with the Rough Riders, and he is to to, to speak with the media later on today. So by the time this is disseminated, uh, AC Leonard will likely have spoken. So uh, we're 
operating a little bit blind here, but uh, uh, you know they, they've based Craig Dickinson said on Monday they forgive AC Leonard. They don't uh, condone what he did, but I think the the general vibe that that is coming out of the Ryder organization regarding him is that he suffered enough. He got a two game suspension, and then uh, a one game suspension was appended to that for. Uh, comments toward the doping control official that were not uh, well received, shall we say. Um, my intention is that uh, the Rough Riders should attack a game onto it. I, to me, that looks like a code, code of conduct violation. Craig Dickinson acknowledged that AC Leonard was, to quote Craig Dickinson, a jerk to the doping control officer. And that's not the way the Rough Riders generally comport themselves. And I think an example needs to be set here. I don't think they need to be draconian about it. But uh, I would tack on another game just to make it clear that that kind of conduct is not acceptable from AC Leonard or from anybody else. Because this is an organization that, that prides itself on, on the manner in which it's perceived and the manner in which it uh, conducts itself. And I don't think uh, saying what, whatever, whatever was said to that doping control officer is a, is a way that the Rough Riders should, would want to be represented. And I think the code of conduct should apply here. I think it does. One thing you have to notice too, Robin, adding into the penalty, he's going to be He's already got one strike against him for a drug test because he he didn't take the test. So he's already one of the three strikes. He's so because that counts as a positive test by not being able to fill his duties. He's also going to be facing multiple testing times more than other buys because of they know about him and somehow in the random world. So is he, there are, are the penalties still coming from this that he's going to have to deal with every day. But I I kind of lean towards he's done enough. And I know it's part of the code of conduct. It's been taken out of their hands, but he's lost about $33,000 in salary. He's lost credibility. He's lost reputation. He's lost so much. When is enough? And I, I kind of think putting another game on there would be piling on a little bit. And I think he, if he's if he's remorseful today and he shows to me that he's he was a jerk and he had one of those moments, you know, I think maybe the right he's done enough and he can move on and, leave it behind him now. But I just think maybe one more game might be just too much, too much for this, what this guy has gone through right now. And I'm not, I'm not condoning anything he did. Absolutely no reason. There's no reason for the way he acted towards the doping control. And that, that's, that's even bigger than the failing to pee. And a lot comparable to failing to pee in my mind. Like these guys are just people out there doing their jobs. They're not doing, they're not trying to make him do anything. And, and I think the way he acted to that deserves some sort of reprimand, but, I that's why you have a code of conduct. Why have a code yeah. of conduct if it's not going to be enforced in this case? Well, that is it's just good. words on a page or words on a website if the Rough Riders don't meet out some form of supplementary discipline. Yeah, but you, you and I both listened to Craig on Friday night and Monday. That's, that's not coming. It's, it's not coming. And I know I think Craig is, uh, if, if, it, if it was warranted, I think Craig would do it. I don't think he's the type of guy that's just not doing it because it's because it's a leading pass rusher which I, I hope doesn't come into play. <laughs> well, let's be serious, though. If he was a marginal player, he probably would be somewhere in the United States right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you, you give yourself a lot of leeway when you're the team's best pass rusher. And uh, I don't think for a minute that isn't f being factored in, especially when you consider it's a short and regular season and, and suddenly missing a player of, of that magnitude for a game is, is quite a big deal. Uh, or a bigger deal, especially when you consider that they, if they add on a game to it, it would be a game against the Calgary Stampeders. But I, I think the Riders should stand for more than that. I think uh, uh, the caliber of a player 
or the importance of a game should be secondary here to the reputation of an organization that always strives to um, uphold its brand and have the brand portrayed in the most positive manner. And uh, that what happened did not reflect well upon the, the brand or the team. And I think that's what has to be the larger consideration here. But I think we could go, we could chase our tails on that uh, for forever. I'm right and you're wrong. Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, I'd like to talk a bit about junior football right now. Sure. That Regina Thunder Saskatoon Hilltops game on, on Saturday was an absolute classic. And I think we can wind the CFL into this as well because the last two Thunder uh, Hilltops games have been better than I think anything the CFL has put on the field this year. So yeah, this uh, junior football uh, exhibition of greatness on Saturday night was amazing, but why has the CFL been so boring this year? And and then I think it also becomes topical when you watch a lot of the NFL games that have been played. And yeah, there are more NFL games, so there's more opportunities for there to be good ones. But people are raving about some of the NFL games, such as Kansas City and Baltimore. Very few of the CFL games this season have led people to uh, ooh and ah. And uh, I think that's a that's a pretty pretty substantial issue facing this league. It's just not that entertaining anymore. It sure beats watching bowling and televised <laughs> poker but, and golf. Sorry, Mer. But uh, it's not that, that entertaining anymore. What happened to the CFL that used to be so wide open and fun? I still think there – and it seems kind of crazy to be six games into this 14-game season. I still think people are still adjusting from the year off. I still think – that ha- they haven't caught up to that number yet. And I, I do admit, admit you're right. Like, I hate to admit it. I fall asleep during a lot of CFL games. <laughs> just, just, it just so, did, so did the officials. You're not alone. No, so did officials. But I, I but think the, the Thunder, Thunder and the Hilltops had a year off, and they're putting, they're playing yeah. great football. So, yeah, you know, that There's game on Saturday was the best football game that has been played at Mosaic Stadium since uh, it opened, the new one. Now, there may have been a high school game or two that I've missed that have been uh, uh, tremendous. And I'll always consider the 1993 uh, Regina Intercollegiate Football League Schwann Conference final between the Riffle Royals and Tom Trojans as one of the absolute greatest football games ever played anywhere. So there may have been a high school football game played at Mosaic Stadium that's of that caliber. But of games that I've attended or watched, that Thunder Rams game was so good with so many storylines. And so much passion. And this province would be so proud to have those two football teams. And although the Thunder won both games against the Hilltops, both of them could have gone either way. And they'll meet again in the PFC final, barring uh, shocking development. That final will almost certainly be at Mosaic Stadium. And and uh, you don't want to miss that one. Yeah, it'd be nice if there's a big crowd on hand for that one. Unlike what we had on Friday night when the Riders were there. Oh, Four. yeah. How many people I, were there? Jamie Noy is calculated it at 17,000. I, I think that's a pretty fair estimate, although we'll never find out because the CFL doesn't tell us these things. And it's just, I haven't seen, someone said, what do you think? I said, I haven't seen Mosaic stay in that empty since of practice. And it kind of looked up yeah. because I was busy working on something else before the game kicked off. And then I started to look around. And because the lights were out, you weren't, the lights out were happening. You weren't quite aware of how many empty seats they were. You kept looking up and I wish I could say it's because of COVID. It's because of the vaccination program. It's because of the boring CFL. It's because of it's Toronto. There's probably all of those things that came together. And, you know, the riders introduced their vaccination in Rider Nation. And uh, 
And I think it went really well. I don't think there were any issues with it. People got in. Uh, there were some protesters, but we missed that part of it. But that's life. Yeah, but what, what ten, ten of them? Boy, ten what a formidable, what a formidable group that is. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to protest. That's going to influence people. public opinion. <laughs> so Sorry. the riders, you know, looking back on that game, as as it says, the riders deserve credit for everything being handled really well. There wasn't the lineups moved quickly. People got there early. Some people were mumbling about, "I got here early for this." Well, if you hadn't got there early. You might have missed something. So you got to get there early, and if you if you plan to take the elevator, because that'll get you there about <laughs> halftime. What else are we going to do on Friday night at seven o'clock? If you're going to a football game, why not go at six thirty? Why not go at five and see? It's just it's just different walking up to the stadium and not seeing people milling around outside as much. No yeah. party in the park. It's just you look around and it's just it's is it can business like be the word because they're going to watch a football game. There's not the the party that's generated, I think maybe it happens more once once you're in the stadium, but there's none of that stuff outside the stadium. I think maybe they're missing a bit of that kind of world. Yeah, it's pretty sterile outside the stadium. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of factors. It's, it's a confluence of factors. It's been a heavy concentration of home games. Yes. So I think that has a, an effect on the on the pocketbook, although they didn't even reach their season ticket total with attendance, which you know, those are bought tickets that where people are staying away. And there's, yeah. there's at least five or 6,000 people who bought tickets that didn't go. So what is their disinclination to go if they've already paid that money? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you would think it's got to be uh, it's got to be the vaccination issue. But um, good, good for them for doing it. Good for the Rough Riders for yeah. for uh, looking at something bigger than their their pocketbook or their bank account in a time when their finances have been threatened. And uh, and still making making the right call, belatedly but still effectively. So, and a call that the that our our, our fearless leaders in the province weren't inclined to make. The Rough Riders had to go out on a limb there, and they uh, I'm sure they uh, they encountered some resistance, and, and I'm sure there have been some messages left at Mosaic Stadium that people didn't enjoy listening to. But they made the right call in in some way to their detriment. But now you know that their fans are as safe as, as they can be. And I think that's an important consideration, especially as we look at numbers that are routinely routinely flirting with, if not exceeding 500 in, in terms of COVID cases per day. I think a Friday night game had much to do with it too. I heard some people saying they didn't really like the Friday night game. Weird time, still kind of head scratching time. Why? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the riders tried to play it up at the Lights Out show, and I didn't really notice it was... It looked all right to me. It didn't did you notice it much? <laughs> yeah, what was all the fuss about? <laughs> you kept telling me they going to turn off the press box lights, and they didn't turn off the press box lights because I, I guess they can't. I'm not quite well, they, sure. They used to have lights out shows at Taylor Field, but they weren't planned. Yeah, <laughs> but the element of unpredictability made them memorable. Yeah, but it was it was it was a loud crowd. I guess it's hard to tell. As I as I keep referring to the press box as our aquarium. Yeah. If you don't open, you can't hear what's going on out there. You can't really tell. We're kind of tucked away in a corner that, and it compares to me is that when I go and cover the Blue Bombers for the Banjo Bowl, it's outside. The windows are open and it's loud. And my and from my experience, that's what makes them the loudest crowd. Is I leave, usually leave there with a pretty bad headache after listening to bomber fans cheer on their bomber their team. Well, I got a bit of a feel for it because I uh, I do a halftime segment for every home game on CQRM with Mitchell Blair. So. I had to get to the broadcast booth a minute or two before halftime to make sure I'm there on time. So Derek Taylor and Luke Molander and spotter John Hoffman have a an open window there. And that just so happened to be at the time when the Rough Riders are moving down the field uh, after the 
the goal line stand against Toronto. And uh, even though the Riders' offense had the ball, uh, that was a pretty robust crowd. And when uh, when there were a series of first downs, that crowd was notable in terms of the decibel, decibel level it, it produced. So, yeah, 17,000 is still louder than uh, than uh, uh, 17,000 would be elsewhere. But it's still. I don't think it reflects a lack of interest. I don't think it reflects a lack of interest in the Riders. I bet you. The other thirteen thousand people that bring them up to thirty are home watching it on TV. They're not. They're not. They're not disinterested in the Riders. I just think there is some reason this game. Toronto's a tough sell. It's always been. A, I keep and Jim Hobson said Toronto is one of their toughest sells so for some reason. And you would think it'd be the rivalry of the the little town that could against the big city of Toronto people, but Toronto just has a hard time drawing fans here. And it's all. And it's not always been that way. But it's. I don't remember a whole lot of big crowds for Toronto games. So they There's just... only seven, maybe eight opportunities to watch this team in person this year, yeah. in Saskatchewan this year. Um, and, and there weren't any last year. And and it's a good football team, a very good football team. What do, what are people waiting for? Uh, so, I think you nailed it. It's a lot of home games in a row. We coming off of um, – and a, a, kind of a challenging economic year, I think would be safe to say the farmers have been struggling and stuff. So maybe people just don't have that money. Maybe they're like us looking down the road, you know, I want to go to Mexico. I want to go someplace in the winter. I got to save a little bit of money. Maybe. I don't know. We're trying to make up reasons for maybe. the. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I think it could, it could be a very well be all of the above. There's just so many factors to, to consider. Uh, one thing I want to discuss Cody, Ian Duffy asked a really good question. Ian Duffy of Global Regina asked a question of Cody Fajardo after Friday's game about uh, what it's like to deal with uh, self-doubt. And that was in response to something Cody had said earlier in the in the Zoom call about um, some of the comments he received by social media and his consequent disinclination to spend as much time on social media as he typically would. This is a player who's typically very active on social media and, en- and engaged in it or on it with, with fans. But he took a step back uh, over that fortnight that did not go especially well for himself or the Rough Riders. And uh, he said, basically, people sometimes forget that uh, athletes are human beings and we have feelings. And uh, uh, it really was, I think, and I'm writing about this for Wednesday's paper, um, it really gives you pause to to think about what you're saying, uh, what you're putting on Twitter, uh, what others are putting on Twitter. Uh, professional athletes, especially quarterbacks, tend to default to quarterback speak and cliches and platitudes. And Cody Fajardo, to his immense credit, is not of that mindset. And he's genuine. He's honest. And uh, one of the first times I can remember seeing a Rough Riders quarterback who was not afraid to demonstrate some vulnerability. And uh, when talking about these things hurt. And uh, and I've probably written some things in print, put some things on Twitter over the years that have, uh, that have hurt people, that have uh, not enhanced the day of some people. Maybe what, we, what we've been saying about Ricardo Lewis earlier or AC Leonard uh, falls into that category. So maybe there's some hypocrisy at work here too, but... Um, what do you make? What did you make of Cody's comments, Mark? I thought they kind of came out of the blue a little bit. Yeah, I, I just went. I was going to just go. Well, what brought this on? And 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 I, I don't know. I kind of. Do you remember seeing a lot of criticisms on Twitter about him? Maybe, I don't remember seeing. I went looking. I went looking through Cody's uh, 
a Twitter yeah. timeline and uh, I didn't see anything, but they, they may have been filtered out too. Um, yeah. I don't understand the intricacies of, of what what he can see that others can see, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't see anything derogatory, but uh, Cody Fajardo is not going to invent things. And if, uh, if he know, says I... that there were, there were, there were disgusting things said about him, I have no doubt that there were. And uh, I find that in, in turn disgusting. Um, maybe not surprising because he is a quarterback at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and it's a very prominent position and one that's subject to a lot of scrutiny and a lot of criticism. And he shouldn't be absolved of that simply because he is a Rough Rider quarterback. But I think at some point you've got to take into consideration that this has happened too many times in Rider history. Ron Lancaster, Kent Austin, Kerry Joseph, Darian Durant, the four Grey Cup winning starting quarterbacks in Rider's history have all felt the wrath of the fans at some point in their time in Saskatchewan. Some worse than others. The worst example being Ron Lancaster being booed in his final game as a player at Taylor Field on October 22nd, 1978. So do we want to go down that road again? This is a quarterback who's invested in Saskatchewan, who loves Saskatchewan, has signed on uh, through the 2022 season, uh, probably left some money on the table to do so, maybe let, maybe for maybe foregoing an NFL look-see in the process. And uh, yeah, he had a bad game or two, and he's the first person to own that. But does that entitle people to absolutely unload on him? And does that, uh, does that just make you wonder if the people who are, who are purportedly cheering for him are just front runners or those who are, in, or are just inclined to support him win or tie? And if, if there's a bad game or two, just forget about this guy? I, I was really disappointed that Cody Fajardo felt com- that was in a situation where he felt compelled to lament the treatment he received on social media. Because this is someone who's an absolute gem, in addition to being a franchise quarterback. Guys like this don't come along very often. And uh, I I just think he deserved far better than that. Yeah, as I said, I was surprised that I've been, a, not as much as you, I've been subject to a few social media things back in the world. And I remember thinking, oh, isn't that kind of mean and stuff? And you just sort of suck it up and go on. But I, I can only imagine how Cody feels and feeling he's done so much for this team, as much as he can considering we, we lost this season that. So, yeah, I was very, I was still surprised to hear that people were doing it. But as I said, sometimes you got to have the thick skin to be a quarterback. Like even Calgary was booing Bo Levi yeah. in his struggles on the weekend. So, you know, it's not, not everyone's immune to being part of the criticism. Derek that, Jeter got booed at Yankee stadium. I mean, yeah, how could you Ron Lancaster got booed here, but uh, it's just honestly, different social. It's such stupidity. Social media gives all these people such an opportunity to be so critical and say these things from the safety of their keyboard that they would probably go, if they saw Cody in a restaurant or something, they'd go up and beg him for an autograph, the exact same folks, and they interrupt his meal. And we're we're sort of like that too, though. Like, for example, if I rip a coach, I'm probably not going to walk up to the coach before I rip him and say, that was a terrible decision, and what are you doing, and you should be fired. Uh, I'm just going to write that. And so I have an element of protection and granted, it's my job to do that as a columnist, but I have an element of protection and an element of insulation because I sit behind a keyboard and I, I do the same thing that a lot of other people would do on uh, on social media. The difference is, well, there's two differences. One, people know who I am, rightly or wrongly. If I have an opinion, my name is beside it. I'm not Moondog1222 on Twitter. Or, and, or, or uh, the egg. the egg. Or the egg. And uh, and the other, the other thing is if I criticize somebody, uh, granted, it's different in the Zoom uh, world, but if I take somebody to task, I'm probably at practice the next day, and if they want to confront me about it, I'm right there. Um, so that's the difference. Uh, in a lot of these cases, they're just an- anonymous 
organisms that are that are dispensing this and uh to to what to, for what purpose so the Cody Fajardo who's so Cody Fajardo who's invested himself in, in this province and and is so great to the fans suddenly has reason to think should I be that active on social media should I respond to somebody on Twitter yeah there might be nine nice comments but if there's two idiots there does that sour the entire experience so I'm just going to push back and just just worry about being the quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough So then what good does it do? Because you've taken a guy who's so engaged and so in, and so popular and so likable and so thoughtful and just made him wary of interacting with the fans that by and large love him, but there's one in every crowd. There's probably 10 in every crowd. But should there, should be, shouldn't it be allowed to criticize, though? How, how do you do it? Is there a... a uh, well, it's... it's, it's a... a, 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 a I'm trying to think of the right word to describe a way to do a criticism to criticize a guy without slapping them without yeah, saying I'm not, disgusting. I'm things. not saying don't criticize him, but when when it goes beyond that and people are saying disgusting things, um, I don't mind when people criticize what I write. Uh, I get mad when people people uh, uh, criticize my dog. <laughs> I uh, um, you have a dog. If people, and she hasn't even made a cameo yet this week, but if you know, if, if people are going to criticize the substance of what is written, I'm that's fair game. I just ask in return that I know who it is that's criticizing, otherwise they get muted or blocked, uh, or whatever. But um, criticism's fair game. I'm the last person in the world who's going to say that people shouldn't criticize because that's my job. I'm a columnist, but uh, um, that's one thing. And Cody will be as more critical of himself than than. Uh, Others likely will be of him in many cases. Look at look after the Labor Day Classic, and he pretty much owned that result excessively and said that he let the writer nation down, let, let the fans down, etc. His teammates. Well, no, he played his heart out. Um, there was nothing to be ashamed of that day. But he's going to be harsher on him toward himself than others are going to be. But suddenly, when you incorporate other elements into it, and that's clearly what happened to provoke the kind of uh, emotional response that Cody Fajardo uh, delivered to Ian's question. Uh, that's going too far. And how do you stop it? You can't, because uh, Moondog1258 is going to have an opportunity to go on Twitter and take a pot shot at, uh, at Cody Fajardo. And even if he gets blocked or muted, there'll be Moondog2287 doing the same thing. And that's that's the worry. And how does this get? Um, how does how do you how does this not get out of control without Cody look Fajardo pulling back and saying, "I'm just not going to interact with people." And then one of the nicest people ever to play for the for the for the team, one of, it's one of the people who's most inclined to deal with the fans, suddenly uh, is uh, is repelled by that notion, or at least reluctant. And that's uh, that's just unfortunate. And then you go and you go to look to see how many followers Moondogger has, and he has like eleven or twelve. Yeah, might have a hundred. So he's basically entertaining his friends with his comments, but because Twitter's soul out there, some guy with not many followers can have an impact on a guy like Cody who has thousands of followers. Yeah, and it's kind, uh, of, it's kind of a strange. You know, the old days used to be. You know, you could have that opinion with your guys on Coffee Row, and that's where it stayed. Now yeah, you don't not, have to go to Coffee Row. <laughs> and it's not fun, uh, but I mean, I. I uh... You know, and I deal with it all the time. I mean, they're rare as a Rough Rider game where I don't have to block or mute somebody. Uh, and you generally have to go pretty far for me to, to respond that way. But uh, I got about, what, 12,800 12, followers. I think Cody's got about 14. So we probably have the same, you know, somewhat the same experiences when we click on conversations on Twitter. 
And there's days that I know when I write something that I'm going to hear about it. And uh, I, I recently had that experience with the uh, vaccination issue. And I wrote numerous columns about that and even uh, allowed politics to enter into the equation, rightly or wrongly. So not only was I commenting on a matter of public health and a controversial one at that, but I was straying into the area of politics where I do normal, nor normally don't, uh, I don't go there. So there were a lot of respondents to, from whom I would or not ordinarily hear. And there were a few that, uh, that did get personal, that did get stupid, and uh, I will never ever hear from them again. <laughs> There's yeah. one guy who keeps creating an account under a supposed real name, and uh, I block him, and then he returns with the same name, and I block him again. Uh, he's, you know, he's been blocked more than the Argos were on the uh, Keon Schaefer Baker touchdown, but he keeps regenerating himself under the same name. He must, must like, he's like this Twitter cat with nine lives, and I can't block him enough. And there's no way of filtering out those people who are just offensive. Disagree all you want. Tell me my column stinks. I'll agree with you sometimes, but. Uh, just don't criticize my dog. Don't criticize me personally, unless I've done something to you that warrants the criticism and then go nuts on it, uh, et cetera. And uh, that's where I think the line should be drawn. And we've, we've both seen things that are over the top. I've got an infamous email uh, that I saved. It was sent 15 years ago, and I actually I still have it because it was so vile that I thought I might have to go to the police over this. So I saved it and uh, it's still on my phone. I show it. It's one of those party tricks that I now show off and look at this email I once got and people go, Ooh, right. And <laughs> so, uh, but you know what, that guy signed his name to it. So I responded to him and uh, um, I'm getting a bit tangential here, but there, I, I, you're going to get a lot more latitude if you actually put your name beside your opinion, even if it's absolutely ludicrous, at least you're, you have the, yeah. the, the credibility to put your name beside it. And uh, I would venture to say that most of the people uh, who contacted, who responded to Cody Fajardo, either didn't put their name or were too gormless to even know their name. And that might <laughs> be an issue as well. Anyway, I think we... I'm ranting. This. That's my rant for the week. Was that a we, good one? We founded this with you to the end. I think I'm looking forward to the BC game. The late kickoff, though, going to have to uh, get a little nap in before we uh, do another 8.30 kickoff. So that's going to be... I think it's 8.30. Let me double check. Yep, 8.30. Yeah, 8.30. On TSN. Why is it at 8.15 or 8.45? <laughs> I don't know. be interesting to see what kind of crowd they get in BC. It's uh, normally an older crowd. Normally an older crowd. It is an older crowd. And we'll see what they're, how they react. I think. There's it's such an old crowd that BC actually appears after their year. <laughs> those fans are born. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, I expect uh, the Riders to – did they pick up momentum against the Argos? Or was it just a uh, – a little blip. We'll see what they do. See what they, what they can garner against the uh, BC Lions. It'll be interesting because uh, it's it's a crucial West Division game. Uh, their West Division games to this point have not. They've all had asterisks beside them. Uh, I mean, there, there were the two losses to Winnipeg. There was a season opening victory against BC. Uh, do you look at the glass half full the first half or the glass half empty the second half against BC? So, on Twitter, um, it's half empty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, nobody talks about the planes that land, so sometimes you're going to get, a, uh, I think, more of a reaction to, to something that doesn't go well. For example, riders lose back-to-back -back games against Winnipeg. Our inboxes are full. Riders beat Toronto rather convincingly, don't get any responses at all. Yeah. There, there seems to be a different response to winning than losing. Riders can win by 20. Nobody, nobody seems to be inclined to tweet or email. Riders lose by 20. Well, you can spend all day answering emails. Um, 
We should sign off. You got to get to practice, and I got to go for a bike ride. It's a day off. Um, so I'm going to read the outro, unless there's anything you'd like to add. And uh, no, I can't. Can't think much. This is my uh, recitation, outro. my mandatory recitation. If you enjoy the podcast, <clears throat> take two. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob, that is me, at rvanstoneapostmedia.com. That's rvanstoneapostmedia.com, and we'll read it on the show. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at Rob Vanstone. Don't send any mean messages. And uh, Or Murray, send him mean messages if you want, <laughs> at Murray LP. So, uh Thanks for your time. Sorry for being so ranty today, but uh, I get going on these things, and it tends to extend a podcast longer than it should be. Murray, hey, send us a letter. It'll be your first one. We need we need a letter. We need no, we need comments. Yeah, and, if you and, get to the very end of this thing, send us a letter. Yeah, and just if you want to be rude, put your name aside, and we'll we'll talk about it next week. For Murray McCormick, I am Moon Dog Four Four Six Eight, and we'll, we'll we'll talk to you next week. Take care.